and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Carolina Tut speaking. Welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast. I get to speak with accomplished leaders of tech teams in every episode, and uh, my guest today has uh, worked at companies um, big and small. He functions as an angel investor, and he's currently the VP of Engineering at a leading omnichannel commerce platform, Shopify. So it is my pleasure to welcome Farhan Sauer. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Please uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. I actually like your intro, worked at companies big and small, because I think that is something that uh, has allowed me to learn a way, uh, ways of working that are much different than if you just stick to one of those sides. I started my career at a small company. I think it was about two or 300 people, grew to 1,500. I've worked, I've started my own company, so definitely zero people. I, you'll learn a lot of things doing things on your own when you first start. And then I've worked at giant companies like Microsoft, like over 100,000 people now. But I think that way to describe it is I'm just always looking for smart people and hard problems. I think that's nice. what I've been doing. And sometimes that leads me to work at a larger company with a team that's focused on something interesting with smart folks going after something truly difficult. Other times it means I partner up with another entrepreneur and we start our own thing because that's where the smart people and hard problems are. But I think that's a good way to describe it. I do tend to you know, uh, invest in other companies as a way of learning. This happened to me recently where somebody said, hey, I wanted to invest in this company, but I'm not sure about this person as the CEO and about the space. And I'm like, oh, you're looking to make money. I'm like, I'm not looking to make money. I'm trying to figure out like, how do I, is there a learning opportunity? Like you're asking me the wrong questions. I'm, I'm looking at, is there a learning opportunity here? So I'll invest versus this person and it's totally fine to use angel investing as a way to make money. It's just not how I approach it. I approach it as, how do I learn some stuff? And so I invest for the opportunity to learn something from the founders about a new space, about a new market, about a new way of building a business um, versus something else. So yeah, that's, that's kind of a good summary. Just like I try to find smart people and hard problems and, and go from there. I can't, I can't claim that I made that up. I think I heard Paul Graham say that once. Nice, but we will take it from you as well. So if you search for Farhan, you will see a short clip of him explaining his hiring tactics. I think that's one of the first hits I found on Google. But um, you will also see that he's always hiring and he's hiring right now. And um, today I I wanted to take that to the kind of to the next level of um, the employee life cycle and see what you thought about um, transforming developers from junior to senior. So today, I just wanted to pick your your mind about how you do that and um, and how you develop senior developers. So let's start with the beginning. How do you define a junior versus a senior developer? Yeah, it's a good question. So first thing I'll say, though, is I'm a big fan of engineers at all levels. So I know that there are folks and there are companies who would only hire, usually like no one's really against senior folks, but they don't tend to have a system that lets them hire interns or people new to their career or people who have switched career. 
I don't have that view at all. I'm a big fan of folks who are early, who are new to programming, who are who have interest and have capability and persistence to go after that. Actually, one of my software engineers at my last company, Helpful, uh, which got, that's how I got to Shopify, the Shopify acquired Helpful, said to me at our Christmas party, you know, this is my first software job, right? And we were like, what? Like, we didn't even know. That's how much we didn't care. Like, we actually didn't even know that this was the person's first software job. He ended up being an amazing engineer and, and developer and is now working in data science at Shopify. But we were so agnostic to like not care about somebody's background that it literally was at the Christmas party that he told us it was his first software job. So that's how much I really care about the background. I don't care that much. In terms of the difference between senior and junior, there's lots of things that I think go into that. Obviously, complexity of problem, number of reps in a certain domain, because you learn things by doing lots of work in a certain area. It doesn't necessarily have to be in the same domain. It could be that they moved from back end to front end or got into UX engineering, but number of reps of being curious and looking at problems in a different way. But there's one thing on the product side that I find quite interesting as a good distinction. And this happens pretty often. So you'll you'll be working with someone in product and they'll say, hey, you know, we did some exploration with a customer or we found this problem. Here is kind of a let's let's lead uh, the engineering team down this path about building this solution. And the biggest difference I find here between junior and senior is a junior engineer will say, they'll say, hey, like how long will it take? And the junior engineer will say, oh, it might take, you know, probably take a month or two. A senior engineer might say, it'll take a month or two, but if I make this change, I can do it in three days. Wow. Right? Like, and it's not that the junior engineer doesn't know how to do that either. It's just that the senior engineer knows that what the product person is thinking about is how do I solve the customer problem, right? So the customer owns the problem, but the product person owns the solution and they're trying to help, right? By framing with the, with the engineering team and possibly a UX person as well framing a potential solution to help us, to help guide us down the direction we want to go. But the senior engineer does know that really what we want to do is solve the problem. And they're able to kind of break out of the solution box and go, well, we could still solve the same problem with a different solution. And I find that is a mark of somebody who is really thinking about the customer first versus, versus like falling in love with like this solution, even though it might be technically elegant, it's one or two months of work, might be super interesting. The senior engineer will say, actually, maybe we can test this idea in a different way and come up with something that's much, a much uh, more, more needed shortcut to get to uh, value to the customer sooner. Now the product people and UX people might be like, oh no, 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 you don't have a proper framing of the problem. We do need to go down this path and there'll be a back and forth. I think that's totally fine. But what I mean is, I, I don't see that as much from the junior folks. I want to see it more, but it's a good way to get a feedback cycle started because no one wants to be, it's not a one-way train. It's not from customer to product, uh, UX thinks about how it should work as well, and then it goes to engineer. It should be a loop. Right. So what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more like um, a different level of abstraction of seeing the problem. So what I'm hearing you say is that um, senior developers are more focused on the on the problems itself rather than the code or or the the technicalities of how to carry out some fix for the problem. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, you think you're framing it correctly, which is like they're looking at a different level of distraction, but I would add one word, which is, I feel like they know enough to know they don't know enough about the problem. And no one really gets the full story because you're not in the customer's shoes. But I think they know enough to ask more questions and they tend to be curious and they've definitely built things that the customer didn't want before, right? So they've nice. done all the work in a previous experience and they built it and they're like, oh, the customer doesn't want that. They want this. And you're like, oh, well, if I knew that, I would have done this, which is like one-tenth the work. So I think that we, I, I'm, I'm just looking for curiosity and being curious leads you to more questions, leads you to more understanding of the domain you're in. And a lot of times you're just going through the fog trying to figure it out. And I think that if you've got an analytical mind, which a lot of folks coming to development do, you might feel like you understand what, like what to build and that might be too narrow and you're not asking the questions. And so I find it, the more senior you get, the more curious you get and the more you realize you don't know anything. And right. so you just, you want to ask more questions. You want to ask, ask even more basic questions. You're like, really? Are you sure? Like, are you sure this is even the right customer? Like that, like you ask those kinds of questions. So I think it is something that has to be cultivated. And it's almost like when you're a kid, you ask all these questions. And then over time at school, you get scared of asking questions. And then as you get more experienced, you, you come back to being a kid again and asking like the why, why, asking five whys. Why is that the case? They ask why all the time. And I try to like get to the next level. Like why, why, why? We should do the same thing as, as developers. So I guess as you progress from being um, an incoming developer, you start to be more open to learning as you progress because you start learning from different areas of expertise, perhaps, and you start hearing different kinds of opinions, I am assuming, as you mentioned, from the UX team or from the product team, rather than just focusing on development. Yeah, and I think the way that happens is a combination of things, right? One, you definitely want to be a great technologist. You want to go deep into your technical craft, but you don't want to have such strict blinders on that you're forgetting about product, UX, the customer. Um, there's a bunch of other things that I think make a great developer increase their effectiveness. And I think over time, those are the things that um, will help you really think about the problem in a holistic way. Right, right. Thank you for elaborating on that. So now that we have kind of um, gotten into the definitions, um, what, in your opinion, is the most effective roadmap to transform from junior to senior? Most of our listeners are in leadership positions of, of tech teams. So if you could highlight how a manager can help um, cultivate this kind of mindset um, in an incoming junior developer. I have a very controversial answer. Go ahead. And the controversial answer is, the short version of the answer is there's lots of ways, but I'm going to give you one way which I have seen to be extremely effective. And maybe I'm making a little pun there by saying extreme, but uh, extreme programming, AKA like pair programming. Pair programming is an extremely effective way to level up your skill in all sorts of domains, including coding as a craft, right? So pair programming in its nascent sense is just two keyboards, two mice, two monitors, but one computer and two people are working on the problem at once. Of course, in today's COVID-19 world, we use remote pair programming tools to allow you to do the same thing. That level of discipline, of intensity, of feedback, 
is so powerful that it's almost impossible not to get better with pair programming, right? Like unless you're really closed off to feedback and new ideas and intensity, like it's almost impossible to walk out of pair programming sessions, not having learned something, both sides. And I think that the constant uh, ability to learn from somebody who is likely sharp, but in a different domain than you, maybe they have more experience, maybe they have less, maybe they come with different experiences, maybe they have a different background than you, maybe they've worked at different companies, maybe they're different, like there's all sorts of things that will allow you to learn. I mean, all the way down to like, what keyboard shortcut did you use? Like it, it is extremely effective. And if you said to me, you have only one tool, I would be like, that's the tool. And that tool is not just for like leveling up on development, it's leveling up on email, it's leveling up on like, you know, product management, UX, like it's, you're leveling up on so many different domains at the same time. But in particular, moving up the ranks in engineering, I can't think of a better way. Like, I mean, actually somebody told me the other day, like, well, if you were going to retire, like, what would you do? And I said, oh, I would, I would pay some of the best developers in the world to pay a pair program with me. Like, that's what I would do because I can't think of learning any faster than that. How awesome. And then easy enough to kind of wrap our, our heads around it. So with, the, with that said, I know this will be another it depends sort of question, but um, in your experience, um, is there an ideal pace of development for a person when they um, get in the ranks of becoming a software engineer? It's a good question. I don't know if there's an ideal pace. Like I, I do know that there are different levels of impact and there are people who enjoy being at the various levels, right? So like the most famous one, of course, is you take your best engineer and you make them like an engineering manager. Is that the right thing or the wrong thing? And the answer, of course, is it depends because does the senior engineer want to be a manager and leverage their craft via helping other people reach their level of craft? Or do they want to have impact by writing deeper and more interesting code? And so like at Shopify, for example, we have a principal engineer path and then we have a director path. And so you can actually continue to be an individual contributor while having large impact at the director level, but as an individual contributor. So we, we've defined those paths for this exact reason. But I think the way to think about the levels of impact really allows you to think about where you want as a person to go. And so here's, I have another example. You know, we have different levels at Shopify and I was chatting with a senior and developer and a senior developer. The next level for us is either staff developer or engineering manager. And this person was very interested in becoming a staff developer. We, I worked with them to figure out what were the things to become a staff developer. And in, in, in our case, it is um, having impact beyond just your, your group, actually helping um, broader parts of Shopify technical complexity, um, you know, pushing things to production that have merchant impact. There's a bunch of things that we allocate towards being a staff engineer. The person was started doing these things. We also do backward facing promotions. So we look at that, we can, we look to see that they are doing the craft at that level for like at least six months and say, Hey, you, you're not promoted because you've been doing it. You know how to do it. This person did it for six months. We were super happy. We're like, wow, you're about to be promoted. And he said, no, I don't like it. Wow. I'm like, really? Yeah. He said, I don't, you know what? I don't enjoy being a staff developer. I get it means broadening my scope. I get it means interacting with teams outside of my own group. I understand it means interacting this way. He's like, I don't want to do that. I really enjoy being a senior developer in my team, understanding the craft, only working in this local area. He wasn't interested after doing it for six months. And so 
what it tells me is that while it might look like a career ladder straight up and to the right, we talk about the jungle gym at Shopify, right? He was not interested in, in stretching his craft that way. So instead, actually, we moved him to from a, a feature team to a tooling team. He's now working to help other engineers and developers be more effective in their craft by helping the tooling infrastructure at Shopify, getting projects started, building tools to make it easy to monitor performance, all of those things. And so he's loving that role. That was, that's the jungle gym. He didn't have to go up. He went lateral and is now enjoying learning in a completely different way. And so he didn't feel, and we together worked with him on that, didn't feel like he wanted to go that way. So by helping him show him like what he had to do and he did it, he realized, I don't want to do that. Very similar to maybe management. Maybe you do engineering management. This happened to me. I promoted somebody to director, didn't like being a director. And so wanted to move back in an individual contributor role. So the jungle gym is a very apt metaphor, I think, because it is not up and to the right. It is not like stay in one company and go up the chain, right? It's, it's go here, go to a big company, go to a small company, do a startup, do a larger company, do open source, mentor people, write code, invest. Like it's a bunch of things. I tell people a lot to try lots of things and figure out what you like. It's not just up and to the right. And of course, he's enjoying his time now, right? Like he doesn't feel like he's stuck because he's moving to different teams. He's learning different things. It doesn't mean he has to be promoted from that perspective. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting example because I was going to ask you how you help juniors become seniors, but really I'm going to rephrase that a little bit and say, once somebody has made it clear that they want to become seniors or want to move on the management roadmap or want to move in the in the engineering roadmap how do you help them in either case so the short answer of that one is i give them things that i want to do and have them do it instead right so if i'm doing an engineering management task that i actually potentially enjoy right because now my craft is engineering management i will ping them instead and say hey i was just about to spend time reallocating this team, figuring out the for 2021, what the team structure should look like, given our goals for what we want to build. Is that something you'd like to do instead? Um, even though I, I do enjoy doing that, and that, that gives them a task that is something that would involve me looking across the organization, looking at our growth rate, figuring out what types of people we would need, who's going to move there internally, how many people should come from external, how many juniors can we support if we have seniors, like so all those things. And of course, I won't just drop it on their lap. I would ask, I would say, hey, I'll help you. Like, but if there's interest there, then you're now giving somebody the opportunity to do something that you would be doing, right? This happens to me all the time. Like, I don't necessarily want, like, have to do it myself. It just has to get done, right? There's lots of examples. Maybe there's something across the company that we want to build that a senior engineer uh, wouldn't typically build, but maybe a staff engineer would build. And I would say, hey, you know, we have to build a common framework for this across Shopify. I was looking, I was going to tap so-and-so, but actually this is a good stretch project for you. Are you interested in, in collaborating with other teams and making this a reality? And then everyone would be using your code. So I think there's um, opportunities to give people stretch projects. And the cool thing about that is, like I gave you the earlier example, people might do it, not enjoy it, right? Like do it, do a good job, not enjoy it and realize that they want to do something else, which is, a, which is a win, right? Because you're not promoting somebody and then they feel bad about like stepping down. Like they're getting a chance to try these things. Now, of course, hopefully um, it lines up and they enjoy it. 
they do a good job. We see sustained performance at that level for at least six months or so. And we're like, it's super clear. I mean, here's the best part about those kinds of promotions, right? It's so easy, right? Hey, look over here. Here's Rebecca. Rebecca has been doing staff engineer work for the last six months. Here's the things Rebecca did. We're going to promote Rebecca, right? You don't get any pushback. When you get pushback is, I think we want to promote Jeremy. And I think because Jeremy did this and Jeremy did that, that Jeremy should be promoted, but we don't have the data. I didn't, right. we didn't give Jeremy level seven, like, I'm sorry, staff engineer work. And so we don't know for sure versus here, we know for sure. So I'd rather just use the real data. Don't guess. Let's use the real data. Right. And I want to draw attention to the fact that um, you have mentioned kind of a learning by doing aspect of development twice already in our conversation. Do you have any kinds of in-house training or some online courses, or is it all really doing the work and being in the front lines? You ask a really good question because this is something that I struggle with myself. We do have uh, an entire learning and development team um, at Shopify that helps you get up to speed with our technology stack, how we do development. We have developer summit. We have developer talks every week. Like we have all sorts of ways to help you learn. At the same time, we also support traditional types of development. If you want to take a course, you want to buy books, there is lots of opportunities to do that too. And then we also have something called hack days where you can stop what you're doing and do something completely different from your normal day job with the goal of like shipping it in three days. The way, the reason I say uh, I struggle with it is that I would venture a guess that most of the people at Shopify, maybe it's a guess, it's a guess only, are much better learning by doing folks than, than I am. I actually tend to, like, here's a good example. A few of my friends play chess. And of course, I know the rules of chess, and so I play chess as well with them. And in order to get to their level of chess, there's kind of two approaches, right? Like you can play lots of games. Or my tactic, because I tend maybe to be more a little bit more academic, is I read a lot of chess books, like read a lot of chess strategy books. Uh, and then of course I still have to play. Like in development, there's no way to get, become a good coder without coding. Like there's no way. Right. But I would say different people sit on different uh, parts of the spectrum. Some people can look at code right away and be like, oh, I'm just going to start coding. They don't have to look at the underlying architecture. They can just start coding and learn by doing. And there's others who tend to like want to like take a course or read about the language first to get some fundamentals and then start coding. So I'd say the pendulum swings a little bit more at Shopify towards the doing, which I think is fine. I know for me, I tend to want to read a little bit more about the theory and then write some code, mm -hmm. right? So if I want to, you know, we're a big Ruby on Rails shop, I'll probably read the Ruby language spec first and then start coding in Ruby versus just starting. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think everybody's different, but it also does mimic how I wanted to play chess, which is like read lots of chess books and then play some chess. Now, the downside to that is it might take you a little longer to get started, but hopefully I have a deeper understanding. Like, you know, in this example, my friends played chess for like 10 or 15 years. And after only playing for like a couple of months and reading some books, I was at their level, right? Well, because they didn't do the same things that I did, which is like read up on the theory and, you know, come up with heuristics. But I think the same thing's true of engineering. I think if you're looking at after three months, who's uh, a proficient engineer, I think it, some will start coding for three months and some might read for like two weeks and then start coding. I think it was a famous like Abe Lincoln quote or something that says, if I have to chop down a tree in 30 minutes, I will spend 29 minutes sharpening the ax. There's some quote like that that says yeah, like, I, yeah. I think Darwin 
said, or it, that's the last thing I read. Darwin said something like, if I am given an hour to, to figure out a solution to a problem, I will spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem or something like right. that. Something like, so, so I'm more on that side. I'm more on the, let me sharpen the tool for a long time before I use it. And there's other people who start hacking away. I think they both work, just my, my approach versus others. Right. So with that said, we've talked a lot about the individual perspectives of, of how one wants to develop. In your experience, what is really expected of the individual versus what is expected from the company side? How far should a company go in order to help their engineers develop? It's a good question. We, have, we use the phrase, and I've heard it not only at Shopify, but at others, and I think it's true, it's called own your own development. And the reason we call it that, we want to be very specific, is that actually it doesn't matter what company you're at, you have to own your own development. Like I actually like those words because I don't care where you go and how much training you're offered and how much money they give you for professional development, it is still up to you to take advantage and to own your own progression in life, whether that is career-wise or life skill-wise. Right. So I think that I like the words we use and I, I, I don't think there's any other way to think about it rather than owning it yourself. Now, the managers can help you. I do this all the time saying, have you planned to go to any conferences this year? Have you bought any books recently on your craft? Did you take any courses? How are you learning about this type of engineering versus that type? Do you talk to other people in the organization about what they're working on? Like I do ask those questions. That's how the managers can help. And that's how the company can help by having a professional development budget, by having resources and training, by having books, by having, you know, we have tech talks, like we, we provide it, but you have to take advantage of it. You can never order a book, never take a course, never go to a dev talk, don't participate in the summit. Like you can do all those things, but like the company's providing them and you're not taking advantage. Now, the other side is you can do all of those things and not progress by not applying the craft, right? You can take a course on, how to think, how, you know, graphics programming, but then never apply it, in which case maybe it's lost, right? So I think it is on you, 100% it's on you. The company can make it easier, reduce the friction, make it easy to order books, make it easy. Actually, for me all the time, people will post in a channel, hey, does somebody have this book? I will just, I will literally go and buy it for them because I'm like, it's so low friction for me because maybe I can do expenses faster than other people. Um, so I'll just do it that way, but you have to take advantage and it's on you, right, to do it. And I think it's also on you to figure out if you're stagnating, right? Going back to that example about that engineer who was a senior wanting to go to staff. Luckily, they had that in them. They're like, I really want to try to be a staff engineer. Like we didn't have to push them. Uh, you know, they came to us and, you know, we figured out together that this move laterally was better for them in that case. Right, right, right. And, and they kind of tapped into it and saw for themselves. Yeah. So let's continue on with this topic. You have mentioned that there are different kinds of paths for engineers to take, but um, is that a career plan? What is your experience at smaller companies creating career plans from scratch and at larger companies updating career plans or just letting everybody figure out what they want to do? How do you square that circle? That is a good, I think I'd be saying that every time. That's a good question. All your questions are good. So I will skip that part. <laughs> um, there are definitely people I know that I've met in my career who have had a career plan. I remember working at Microsoft and the VP there, who I, I'm still in contact with, would say, 
in order to run your own business, you have to spend time in sales, operation, marketing, and product. Like he has like a grid. And he used that grid as a way to think about his career and making sure he had a checkbox in each part of the grid. I've never approached my career that way. Like, as you know, because I said it earlier, I try to look for like smart people and hard problems. And I use that framing. And my framing has changed over time, right? Because actually, you know, here's an example. I worked with an engineer who really cared about machine learning and AI and was so into this domain that everything else didn't matter. He didn't care about title, compensation, size of company, domain. He's just like, as long as I'm doing AI and machine learning, I feel like I'm happy in my career. So his framework was AI machine learning. That's the only thing I want to do. That's great. So he knew what he wanted. He didn't care about anything else. I met another person who's, he had a family situation. Unfortunately, he had a family member in the hospital and he's like, I have to make the most money possible because I have to pay for medical bills. So he was an engineer, but he didn't care about title progression. He was like, I need to be a contractor and a highly paid contractor and a specific thing. Cause I need to get, so I'm like, great. You know what your thing is for me. And again, not everybody's in the same situation. I said, I don't care about anything, but learning and working with smart people on hard stuff. So that was my framing. So I use that as my litmus test and it changes. So here's a good example, right? I started my own company. We built three products over three years. We were well-funded. We still lost some money in the bank. And I was like, I'm working with smart people on hard problems, right? Like we were doing that for three years. And as we got later stage in the company, it was three years old. We had a few companies approach us, including Shopify to say, Hey, maybe this tech and this team should live inside our company. Like we should, we should acquire you. Right. And I was looking at my frame going, but I'm working with smart people on hard problems. And then I looked over there and I said, wait a sec, there's smarter people and harder problems over here. Right. Like it, it became clear. Now it wasn't clear of every company that approached us that that was true, but it was definitely true about Shopify. And so in using the same question, I was a, we were able to see that this is now a better option for us as a company than it is to stay on our own because we will work with smarter people and harder problems over here. The opposite has happened before to me as well, right? Earlier in my career, I was working in a company. I thought I was working with the smartest people, learning, having impact. And over time, it changes, right? I no longer felt like I was working with the smartest people, learning as much as I had to learn and having impact. So it became clear to me that I had to leave. So you can use that, again, whatever your framework is. Hmm. The framework might change, but it can also lead you to a different answer in different parts of your life, at different times in your life. And for me, that meant that as long as I had the framework, I can send you my framework. Like I actually send it to people. I have a little picture and I send it to people um, because I write it down and I use it as a way to look at opportunities. And I encourage people to use it, use not this one, maybe it is this one or make their own and say, use this to figure out what you should be working on. I don't, that, I guess you could look at it as a career plan. It not, doesn't look like a career plan, but I don't have a career plan other than that framework. Hmm. So for our listeners, is it like a somewhat of a two by two grid where you can? Well, it's like a bunch of questions. Oh. A bunch of questions. I have it here. You can maybe, I don't know if you have notes on your thing or whatever, but you can attach it later or I can tweet it out later. But first question is, Will you work in high bandwidth or headquarters with people who are scary, smart, ethical, and expect more from you on a growing product? Will you contribute to others, learn a lot, be recognized for achievements and grow in responsibilities? Like it has, it's a bunch of questions that I can ask about an opportunity to decide if I think it's worth spending time on, or even my current opportunity, does it continually answer yes to those questions? Uh -huh. Is this something that you also use when you are elaborating an investment opportunity as well, or is it completely different? No, 
It's completely different. So actually I don't, so I have a funny way of uh, investing very similar to the way I interview is I try not to. Like I just try not to learn too much because I think that talking to people, whether it's interviewing or investing is not uh, a good indicator of anything like performance, right? Like, as you know, like if you and I were in an interview situation and you're interviewing me, a lot of unconscious bias might come into it, right? right? Maybe you see like Shopify in my resume. Maybe I'm tall. I'm not tall. I'm short, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll see like gray in my beard and you're like, oh, he's a little bit older than I thought. Like there, there's all kinds of unconscious bias. And so what I try to do is say, well, let's just look at the work. And the way to look at the work is um, I tend to be very short on interviewing and more on looking at the first 90 days of somebody's performance to figure out if we think they're a mutual fit for um, working with us. Right, right, and so that's not what we do at Shopify, but that's what I've done in a lot of my career. And it's really helped me. Again, we hired that um, engineer who didn't have any software background at all. Right. And in the first three months, he was crushing his role. And we didn't know that he wasn't an engineer by trade. And the reason we didn't know is because I walked around the block with him having a coffee and hired him. That's the only way, I, that's all I did. I didn't know whether he was going to work or not. So in investing, I do something similar. I, I use it as a learning opportunity. I'm, I'm like, hey, these founders seem interesting and there's a domain I don't know about. I just invest. I don't think too much because I don't think that I would learn too much about anything and I'll just get, I'll just get biased. So I just like, don't be biased. Just write a check. <laughs> right. So just to pick your mind a little bit, it's what I am hearing is that you first like to read about an area of expertise or listen to someone who in your opinion has a lot of expertise learn in the academic sense and then try to just use that knowledge in the real world solving real problems and maybe taking risks in a sense but also not taking the risk of trying to over engineer any problem yeah, I try to spend time, you know, there's a, also a good quote, I think it was from Thomas Watson of IBM says, I'm not that like smart, but I'm, I'm bright in a few spots. I try to stay around those spots. Like I have unique insights into a few areas. I try to stay around those areas. And if there's just a phenomenal seeming entrepreneur in an area I don't understand and I want to learn more, I will just write a check. And so that's, that's why I learn, right? That's, that's my, uh, that's something that everybody can do, but it's something I can do. Actually, if I'm interested and I don't like have the funds to do it. I'll, you, you could try to become an advisor or try to learn more about the company in another way. You don't have to quit your job. Maybe you want to quit your job and work there. That's a great way or advise them or be close to them in some way. There's lots of ways to do that. It doesn't have to be writing a check or quitting your job. And so people are uh, interested in help, right? If you want to help them, if you're like, if I meet somebody who's doing something interesting and I have no connection to them at all. You know, this happened to me recently, actually. There's a very... Um, popular company in Silicon Valley, Y Combinator, was doing super well. And I kept DMing the founder with inter like we had great discussions. And at some point he just messaged me, he goes, hey, like, would you like to invest? Like we're, you, you, you kept help helping us or would you want to be an advisor? So you have those opportunities if you're, if you're helpful and you think there's something to learn there. I was learning a ton. I didn't think that it would turn into something. I ended up writing a check. It could have been, I could have been an advisor, I guess for free. But I was like, this is interesting. I think we should be tied to the outcome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. Let's circle back to developing developers. And I kind of feel like I know the answer to this already. But um, in your opinion, if somebody is in your shoes or a similar position, how do you motivate someone to progress? If they seem like they are not really invested in their own development, what do you do? 
I mean, one thing to learn, this is on that list of things to learn about yourself is to like manage your own psychology, right? So there are definitely times when I think a manager can help somebody do more than they think they can do, right? And there's different ways and there's, there's very famous ways, right? There's like the Steve Jobs way, which is just like yelling at people and, and saying it's like, this is not good enough, right? There's, I mean, that, but that works for some people. There are inspirational ways to say, hey, wouldn't it be amazing if, and like paint a picture of a future and help people feel like they're motivated towards that path, right? If you read anything from like Dan Pink, who talks about mastery, autonomy, and purpose, like yeah. as a way to help people feel like they're moving forward. I've always focused on learning. Like, so I gave you the example of like stretch projects. Like I don't just drop it on their lap and, and uh, say, hey, you should do this, but I'll say, hey, there's this thing coming up and I have to do it. Do you want to do it with me? Do you want to do it on your own? I'll give you feedback. Do you, you know, do you feel comfortable like having stretch projects? I'm a huge fan of that. I'm, I'm, I'm a very big fan of putting people in like the deep end, like the sink or swim deep end in that if that like the lot of you'll, you'll be surprised how often people rise to the occasion, right? Even if they're new, like here's a good example at Shopify. We had a, a half days project, which is like a three day project that we wanted to like actually put into production. And we took a dev degree intern, like somebody who is an intern who just turned full time to lead the project. And people were like, why would you, I'm like, it's a great opportunity and he's super interested. So like, why not uh, try that? Now, in this case, the project did end up failing, right? And not because of him, but because we decided over time that we didn't want to invest in that area. But I said to him, the only way we lose here is if you don't like learn something from the experience. And so he's writing up his notes. He's going to share with everybody how to commercialize a product, how not to commercialize something from a hack days project. Like, there's a ton of learning there. So there's still a, a win, even if you lose from that experience. All right. What I'm gathering is that it's really up to the person and then the manager's kind of responsibility is to give them space to do whatever they feel like they want to do. Yeah, well, you, you can give them, you can never make anybody do anything, but you can give them space. You can give them opportunity. You can show them things. You can give them context from things they may not see. You can share ideas, but then yes, it's up to them to go to say, I want that one, right? I mean, it, it could be up to you to say, I think you can do this one, but they have to take it. It's, in, it's, it's almost, I think, impossible to force somebody. My next question is, when do you think soft skill training should begin for software developers? So there's very few things in the world that are a must learn, right? So if you're in your craft and somebody says, I'm interested in Java or JavaScript or Ruby or React, like those are not must learns. Those are like part of your craft. And if you, if you want to become best in the world, you should go super deep in those things. But there are some things that if you are weak, it will hurt you for your whole life. And communication is one of those things. So whether it's written or oral communication, if you don't have at least some level of skill there, it will hurt you for your entire life. Thank you so much for saying that. And I think that that is something that, you know, I think I remember reading something about, um, you know, the analogy I always give is like soccer and golf. I play soccer, but I don't play golf. So should I spend any time playing golf if I don't really enjoy it? And maybe I'll learn something, but I'm like, I'm always like soccer, soccer, soccer. I'll learn. If I just keep focusing on soccer, I'll get better and better and better. But this is not sports. Communication is something that, you can't have like a one out of 10 on. You have to at least be a six out of 10 at a minimum. Otherwise it will hurt you for your whole life. And I actually encourage people to uh, go even further than that. Learn how to write well, learn how to communicate well. Actually this happened to me even this week 
where um, somebody sent me a draft of an email that should be like three or that should be sent to 300 people. And it was like four pages long. And I was like, no, send me like a half, half page. It has to be a half page. Right. And even I'm learning this. Here's a good example. Actually, I, sh I shared this example with this person because they felt bad after I went through like with suggestions and I like cut most of it out is I showed them a response. I was writing an email to the whole company and I, I sent it to the CTO of Shopify as a draft. And he replied over Slack, this email is terrible. Wow. To me. And so I could have, again, managed your own psychology. What could I have done? I could have said, oh my God, he hates me. I hate my life. Like take a break, take a walk. I did get up and take a walk, <laughs> but I came back and I was like, okay, write a better friggin' email. You know, and he gave me some tips and I took those tips and I wrote a better email and he goes there, that's so much better. And I sent it to the whole company. Like, isn't that, isn't that better? It's better to like get the feedback and write the thing. Like, I guess what I'm saying is like, even at, at, you know, my experience level, like you're, you're still learning and he didn't think it got the point across. He was right. I made the change. The point came across better and everybody should be doing that. Not just me. I wasn't scared. I didn't, I wasn't scared to send in the draft. I was like, but make, let's make this email better. So I think the same thing is true of anybody, whether it's speaking or writing, spend the time, write more, um, speak more, that will get you better at that craft. Thank you so much. I think we have touched on a lot of progression ideas. We have, we have talked about uh, learning and extreme programming, and uh, we talked about uh, in-house trainings and hack days and, um, pointing out that motivation should be on your own terms, but managers can always help and, and show you greater pictures and different aspects of becoming better. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this topic? I think, I mean, you've asked some good questions. I think the thing to remember is managers can help, but managers can also really, really hurt. Right. If you are somebody who makes it really, uh, you you fill your um, and your developers' lives with like friction, friction to working on development, friction to like pair program, friction to get feedback on either their writing, speaking, or their code. Like there are lots of ways to hurt. And um, while as a manager that you can open up lots of doors that people may not take, they may not take the avenues to professionally develop. They may not take. They may not want to pair program, for example. But I think it's really worthwhile thinking about all the bad behavior that you might be engaging in and try to figure out ways to at a minimum, like do no harm. Hopefully you're doing better, but do no harm so you can help people progress in their careers, get better. It makes everybody better. It makes you better as a manager. But, you know, the other thing I want to say is everybody can learn, right? I'm learning right now, right? Like I, even that example about email, like I've, I've, I don't have a thin skin. So I'm happy to get the feedback on different things. And the other thing to remember is when people are giving you feedback, they're not saying, they're not saying something about you. They're saying something about the product, right? JML, the CTO didn't say you are terrible. He said, this email is terrible, right? Right. There's a huge difference. Huge. Don't forget that. Right. So if somebody's giving you feedback and it's they're reviewing your code or they're reviewing uh, something you wrote or giving you feedback on a talk, they're talking about the product, not you. So if you can take that in stride and make the product better, you win. Thank you. And there is a bonus question that came to my mind. You mentioned a few times that um, you, you like to work on hard problems with, with smart people. What is your favorite hard problem right now? So 
the problem I'm helping to solve along with everyone at Shopify is how do we reduce the friction to entrepreneurship? How do we increase the amount of entrepreneurs in the world? And part of it is just the definition of entrepreneur, right? People think it means a certain thing, which is like, I must quit my job and go into the basement and write software and come out with this genius idea. Um, but it's everybody. It's the working mom who on the side is selling wares uh, in the back of, from the back of her trunk to online. It is people who are taking independence and trying to start a retail operation or a services business or a coaching business or whatever it is. So I think there's a there's this notion of what an entrepreneur is, but our goal is to increase the definition and also make the friction much, much lower. It's really hard. It's hard to like start something and put it out there and then see if it works or it doesn't work. And then maybe it fails, but maybe you learn something. So you start another one and maybe that fails. And then you learn something, you start another one. And maybe that one is successful. And then you inspire other people. And they, all they see is that you're the third one you did. They didn't see number one and number two. So they don't know the trials and tribulations. So I think for us, the, the hard problem I'm working on with smart people, luckily, is to help reduce that friction and make it easier, less scary to start that business. Because maybe you'll drain your independence that way. Maybe you'll learn more that way. Maybe you'll be able to not have to go to, to a job that you don't like and do this instead. And that's better for everybody. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, where can our listeners follow your work? So definitely Twitter. I tend to rant on Twitter about various topics. Right. So that's an easy one. Um, but I am on yeah the other stuff like you know LinkedIn and everywhere else. But Twitter is probably the best way if anybody is interested in engaging on a certain topic or wants to share their ideas. I love to learn about things that I don't know about. And I love to be asked the hard questions um, because that helps me uh, validate or invalidate my thinking on a certain topic. Thank you. And thank you for joining the Level Up Engineering podcast. With that said, follow us on Twitter. It's um, at L-V-L-U-P-E-N-G. That's Level Up Engineering. And tell us what topics any offered listeners you guys would like to show further um, into. So uh, we will get in touch with the people who know best and ask them the hard questions, maybe. Today, I spoke with Farhan Tavar, the VP of Engineering at Shopify. I am Carolina Tont. I enjoyed our conversation very much. Thank you for joining us. And Thanks for having me. And um, I hope all of our listeners enjoyed this episode as well. And I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.